Good afternoon. And I want to welcome all of these beautiful people to FDIC 2023. This is another exciting year of education, training, networking, seeing old friends, and the excitement is just bubbling with numbers and numbers of people uh, throughout the uh, Indiana Convention Center. So uh, welcome to the EMS pod with Chief Randall. By the way, pod stands for Progressive Open Discussions. And so we'll get right into it. Uh, so my first guests are Alan Arguello, and he's the Chief Operating Officer for the National Registry, and Mike McAvoy from the National Registry. He's also the Board of Director Elect uh, for the National Registry. And so I want to introduce these two, and then uh, after we'll have a, a second guest. So, uh, Alan, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. I appreciate you having us here. No, I appreciate you being here. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, under these discussions, I'd like for our listeners and our watchers to get an idea of kind of where you come from. What's your background? Absolutely. Um, well, uh, my name is Alan Arguello. Um, as Chief Randall said, I, uh, I, I am the Chief Operating Officer at National Register. I've been there uh, for about seven years now. Um, when I when I first started, I, I worked as a project manager within the science and examinations team, transitioned over into relationship management and operations. And and now I, I, I work as the chief operating officer. I, I am a clinician uh, by trade. I've worked as a, an EMS clinician in the New Orleans metro area for a number of years, uh, transitioned uh, to working with a large electronic medical record called Epic for some time. And then from there, I, I found myself at the National Registry, and uh, I've been there ever since, and I've loved every minute. So. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Good. Uh, Mike? Please. Yeah. So uh, my name is Mike McAvoy, and I'm the uh, chair-elect of the National Registry of EMTs. Um, like, like Alan, I'm a clinician. I'm a nurse, a paramedic, uh, an EMS coordinator, a fire uh, chief medical officer, and uh Got my start in New York City uh, while I was in college uh, as a medic, and uh, that was about 45 years ago. A couple, no, a couple, <laughs> couple years ago, and uh, have worked as a medic uh, during most of that time, and also worked for the last 35 years as a, a nurse clinician in uh, cardiac surgery in the ICU, taking care of adults and children after heart surgery, and uh, my. Um, my background with the registries, I've been on the board uh, representing initially the International Association of Fire Chiefs, where I chair their EMS section and uh, finished that that term, which was about eight years or so, and then ran for uh, the executive committee and became the treasurer for a couple of years and am now the the uh, soon to become chairman of the, the board. Wow. Wow. That is a long road. So congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank for you. For reaching that. So the National Registry, right? It's the, the nation's EMS certification body, right? And I remember back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the National Registry is making its way through the different states and, and places are adopting the National Registry way. And now we're talking in 2023, right? So what are some things that 
you know, when it comes to evolving, right? We know that the profession is pushing to evolve and that the National Registry really has an integral part in that piece. And sometimes when it comes to evolving, we kind of have to get pulled along <laughs> because that change is a really a four-letter word, right? So, uh, so what's happening at the National Registry? You know, um, there's a there's a really brilliant uh, fire chief uh, out in in West Virginia who said uh, change change wouldn't be so bad if uh, if everything just stayed the same. And, uh, <laughs> and and there's there's a whole lot of lot of truth to that. You yeah. know, um, you know, from an evolution standpoint, I, I really want to focus on on what the National Registry does and, you know, what the National Registry does does best. And that's verification of competency. You know, as a you know, as a nonprofit certification body, our focus both um, at the beginning of a clinician's career and all throughout it is to make sure that they are competent providers, whether it's through the examinations they take in, in the beginning or through the continued competency process that they follow. From an evolution standpoint, though, on both of those fronts, um, we're seeing and we're we're shepherding changes to the way that we assess that competency. As as many people know, we are moving forward the way that we um, assess our ALS providers. You know, I'm sure you've heard that the ALS psychomotor examination is is phasing out because, yeah. you know, with uh, improved uh, means by which to assess people and best practices and assessment changing, we have to change as well. And, you know, with the in introduction of our new ALS examinations that will measure uh, clinical judgment on our actual uh, computer-based uh, exams, our cognitive examinations. It'll allow a, be a better measure of competency for folks, but also allow us to remove redundancies and assessment that we see in our, in our psychomotor exam right now. And alongside with that, we're also putting a significant bit of effort into redefining um, what we see as uh, continued competency as a provider. I, um, right now, I think, um, and right now and historically, we've looked at continued competency as just a means of, you know, attain the right CEUs and you're good. But the question that we're working on answering right now is, is, is that all that's there? Um, you know, is there, uh, are there additional means by which to assess that competency? And I'll ask Mike to weigh in on, on his thoughts. So on that, I think that whole piece is a change and an evolution that we're seeing uh, throughout the certification community and particularly in medicine. So mm -hmm. physicians have for years and years, uh, if you follow the physician community, which which I do because I work in a hospital, uh, part of my time is uh, every 10 years to be board certified, they'll have to take their boards over again. And to do that, they'd have to pay six or eight thousand dollars and go to a week long review course. Uh, which most physicians say taught them very little, uh, but they remembered enough of it to pass the boards the, the week after. And they've shifted in a lot of professions, emergency medicine and EMS being one, to doing a competency where each year they do some online things where they take a course online and then they take a test based on the things that they learned. And the docs that have been doing that and the way that whole thing has uh, evolved and continues to evolve is causing people to feel like, wow, I really got something out of that. I learned about how practice is changing right now. I learned things that will affect how I care for patients. And it makes a difference to my ability to actually do my job better. 
And I think that's, you know, evidence-based practice is giving us a lot of things year to year that are new and different. And somehow the person like myself, uh, and I see you have a few gray hairs, Chief. Uh, (laughs) When you became certified, a lot of things have changed since then. So how do you you know, learn how to do a 12 lead. How do you learn how to put an IO in? How do you learn how to do something that was never taught when you originally took your program? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good point. And I remember uh, prior to some of these gray hairs when I was waiting for that big envelope and I'm crossing my fingers and toes and that thing came in through the mail and I already knew. I didn't have to open it because I knew, right? And now we're talking about continued competency. And the thing that's exciting to me is we're not just looking at EMS in a vacuum, but we're looking at what the professions are doing. And when you do that, then you are part of that big professional family. So I think it's, it's very cool. And, and we know that when you get your national registry certification that you have a certification to try to enter a state, right? And so those states are required to really uh, add to what that baseline knowledge already is, right? And that's the thing I think sometimes people can get confused. Well, it's national registry, so that's it. No, this is a this is a starting point. This is a jump off, right? So this means you have the, the baseline knowledge to start and now you have to be able to function. And, and and I think the role of this continued competency is really going to keep clinicians uh, very honest, uh, partly because you have clinicians that work in rural areas versus working in urban areas. Mm-hmm. And how do we ensure that these individuals have similar experiences? Because the rural ones may not see an EKG for a while, the, the ones in the urban areas may see a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And then vice versa when it comes to care and length of time with care, right? So lots of variables in this thing. And for you all to really tackle that that topic, and of course, it's, it's bigger than FDIC, right? Like it's a huge topic. It's really a massive undertaking. So, yeah, it's good to it's good to, uh, to hear that. And I hone in on one uh, thing you said earlier, and that's the registry doesn't authorize people to practice. So the registry is a testing and certification organization that does the testing and certification. And then the state authorizes people to practice with a license, in some cases with a certification in, in other cases. And I think people sometimes think that the registry is really the ones that are empowering people to to do that. And we're not no no more than the heart associations empowering you with a CPR card or an ACLS card to practice. Truth, truth, and more truth. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. That's excellent. So, um, do you have anything coming down the pike? Anything that's exciting? Things you're working on? Any uh, like resolutions or anything that you got in the in the hopper, so to speak? You know, um, it's something that I'll continue to 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 harp on is the, you know, the, the redesign of our, our ALS exams, you know, in, you know, our, our intent is, you know, during the summer of next year to introduce these new examinations as, you know, as the standard for competency assessment for ALS providers. And, 
you know, with that, you know, candidates, even at present, they're seeing some of uh, the new item types as, as pilot items. But, you know, beginning in summer, in the summer of next year, they will be the standard for assessing competency for ALS practitioners. And um, for me, I, I think that would be um, of the, the biggest things in the hopper. That's what I would be putting most of my focus on right now. Um, you know, and that the, the importance of that goes to, you know, government regulators, educators, and even, you know, candidates themselves as they're preparing for the examination. I, uh, I've, I've made the joke multiple times, you know, as it relates to the, the ALS psychomotor exam. Um, and this is somebody who's taken it and as somebody who works for the national registry, but, you know, being able to get, you know, that IV flash out of, you know, that dry rotted mannequin arm, you know, is not necessarily the best way to assess whether or not somebody who's gone through uh, yeah. a, a clinical internship and has successfully started 30 IVs is actually competent. And uh, <laughs> right. so just a little sarcasm there. No, no. And, and you don't see it in any other profession. Like there's no practical skills exam for a nursing license or for a medical license. And I think one of the things that, that we've learned across the spectrum, not just in EMS, is that people want to be able to determine whether somebody can apply what they learn during a program. And so this whole redesign, starting at the ALS level with paramedic and AEMT, is, is going to be to develop new items on the exams that measure critical thinking. So different Ooh. kinds of tests that say, you know, show us that all the skills that you learned, you can apply to a scenario, to a patient scenario. And I think that's, you know, I, I'm an instructor and I hear from other instructors are like, well, you gotta have that skills exam. And you know, the real question is, what if that's not my day to start an IV? but I already did 50 of them in class and that could be documented. Well, it shouldn't hold me up because that's not my day. You know, really what we want to know is, can I think critically and look at a scenario and care for a patient in a scenario situation? Yeah, I, uh, I liken being a paramedic to um, shopping. Actually, I mean, I'm going to enjoy this even more to food. I liken it to food. And as an EMT, you have a sit-down plate, right? It's mm -hmm. a sit-down meal. You got a you got a meat, you got your starch, you got your veggies, right? And maybe a roll and, of course, dessert. Like, you got to have dessert. But as a paramedic, you have an absolute buffet, right? You have a buffet from different parts of the world. And you have all these options. You got to make all these decisions. You know, what do you want to try first? Where are you going next? How much are you going to eat? And when are you going to have dessert? Because it could be first in the middle at the end, which is most traditional, right? But being a paramedic has a lot of responsibility. And for the National Registry to take that exam process to a more modern place because of the changing of the times and to let people know that we are not just technicians, but actual clinicians. You mean there's thinking and math involved? Yes. It really is. And the more that we uh, practice as we suppose to play, the more realistic and the more organic you get those paramedics and the, and the programs. And I'm coming from a background of teaching EMT students, and we could tell these kids that the sky was purple and they would absolutely believe it, right? 
But as they mature in this business, then they become more critical. We want that, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're taking care of my mom and dad in St. Louis, Missouri, then I want you to be on your toes, all 10 of them, and ready to take care of them as things could go south, right? So it's it's a big deal, right? It's not just yeah. walking around with a patch and saying, this is what you are, but this is who you are, and this is how you do it. So and it's the future. It's, it'll be at the paramedic and the AMT level, and then eventually it'll be at the EMT level, Absolutely. and it'll be at the uh, EMR level as well. And that's Absolutely. that's a future, future piece. Have you gotten any pushback from this? I know in the, the utopia that everybody holds hands at these meetings and they go, yeah, we'll do it. This is fantastic. But the reality is, nah, probably not, right? <laughs> so tell me what some of those things were. Then how did you, how were you able to combat some of that and really be able to push forward? Sure. So um, just, just going back to the to the comment about change, you know, the, the National Registry and and really emergency medical services as a whole has many different stakeholder groups. And those stakeholder groups fall into, you know, the candidates themselves, those who are already working clinicians, educators, training officers, medical directors, the state regulators. Anytime there is any sort of a change or proposed change to a standard um whether it's a certification standard, licensing standard, or, or practice standard, introdu introduction of a new evidence-based guideline that modifies protocols, there's always going to be pushback of some sort because it requires administrative changes usually. Right. And it requires changes to the, to, the, to the way that we do things. As an example, you know, from, a, from a regulatory standpoint, you know, we recognize that there are many, many regulators at all different levels of government that have you know codified the use of a psychomotor skills examination into different areas of legislation whether it be a statute administrative rule and you know recognizing the amount of time that it takes to change those things is, is part of the reason why we introduced the even the concept of updating this exam many years ago we've been, this is a drumbeat that we've had for quite some time you know we wouldn't you know, say next week we're going to do this crazy thing. Um, <laughs> it's not crazy, um, but, you know, um, that's one type of pushback. And again, it comes from constant dialogue, constantly providing as much information up front as you can. Sometimes you fall short, but you endeavor to the to, your, to the best of your ability um, to make sure that you're providing as much resource. An another area where, you know, where we've anticipated and have received some pushback is, is from the education community, you know. You have many instructors who are extremely dedicated to their jobs. They love being educators and they also love having done things, you know, a very the same way for a very, very long time. And so with that, we've partnered with organizations like NEMSI, the National Association of EMS Educators, to do joint webinars for instructors um, and program directors on what these new item types look like, how they can prepare their students and you know, but really just the best efforts they can take to to support uh, yeah, student success. Mike, I don't know if you have anything about that. Well, and I think the other piece of that is that the registries learned some very important lessons over the last couple of years. And we're, we're in a process of a complete redesign and overhaul of our website and our IT structure. Uh, there's an app now that people can use on their phone to look at their registry card and to do CME. Um, and more importantly, we're using the website as a tool to solicit feedback. So we have something that we're thinking about changing. We wait several months, we put it up on the website and we solicit comments. And so really one of the things that the registry has learned over the last couple of years is that 
uh, when we make a decision, we, we have to hear the people who are the stakeholders. And we need to be confident that when we do something, make a change like this, that we have heard people and we have listened to what they have to say. And oftentimes that will change the fashion in which we execute something based on feedback. How do how do people so there are opportunities to stay on the website and stay connected? Uh, I remember that I would be I've been part of some of the item writing analysis, some of the practice analysis stuff, right? And sure. how are those opportunities still there? Uh, and if so, how do they get connected, right? If they want to do that, absolutely. Um, so those opportunities are still there, and uh, I would argue that those opportunities are even more abound now because you know with you know technology having ex- accelerated a good bit thanks to the pandemic. Um, Many of the opportunities to contribute to our our assessments and and really any of our, our our products that we offer are they can be done online. Oftentimes we do host people at our headquarters in Columbus for these things, um, but um, volunteer at nremt.org um, is the is the easiest place to go to. There is a place that you can sign up, give some information about yourself as to your credentials and and what sort of activities uh, you want to participate in, and uh, and from there that we we have a. I'm going to call it a, a database of volunteers that we utilize on a regular basis to get people. Okay. So on the back of that card I gave you, it says, help us write the future together and oh. gives a website for people who are interested in volunteering for activities. And that's right through our main nremt.org. Very website. cool. So the website is volunteer.nremt.org. That's fantastic. So, the pandemic, um, the word change really hit all caps <laughs> when that started to hit across the country and things were shut down, right? Um, what was your pivoting strategy uh, around that just for, um, just some historical sake for folks? Absolutely. Um, so from a, from a pivoting standpoint, I can tell you um, you know, if we if we look at what emergency medical services assessments do, you know, and you think about the entire pipeline of when we, when we use the term public protection, which is a, is a shared responsibility across a few different entities. You know, you've got education, certification, licensure and oftentimes local credentialing. Right. Well, you've got, you know, education, which has been shuttered you know like you have like if you have an in-person class you're not meeting you know oh you you needed to go take your examination at a test center sorry the test center is closed Um, you know so you've got a break in the pipeline and so registry's um, biggest prerogative at the time was focused on maintaining that provider pipeline because while you shut it off at one end on the other side you had clinicians who were um, who were who could not work because they were quarantined. You had some who were sick. You had some who who were dying. Um, and so, registry's um, biggest strategy was to find a way to administer examinations to keep that pipeline open. And that came through um, very quickly standing up remote proctoring. I forgot the number of days in which it was done, but it was it was incredibly rapid. Um, yeah, we stood up remote proctoring through um, our examination delivery vendor very, very quickly. And we uh, worked with a, another certification organization um, to, um, to push um, federal stakeholders to put emergency medical services and nursing onto and, uh, this, and the certification bodies that certify those professions onto, um, on a certain, onto a certain list that 
removes it from restrictions from from pandemic. So it's essentially it allowed test centers to reopen to to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that's where most of our efforts went uh, went toward in the beginning. But those those first 21 days of the pandemic were, were incredibly stressful from, a, you know, from a, not even from as a as somebody who works for the National Registry, but really just as a stakeholder of the industry. I, yeah. And remote proctoring allowed people to take their exam at home on their own computer. Wow with a monitor through the testing company that we use. And one of our big problems at the time was something that we didn't really anticipate, and that is that a lot of our test centers are at educational institutions. (laughs) And so when the educational institution is shut down, as they were, the test center was shut down. And that's what Alan is referring to, where we had to go through the federal government to say, look, this is a priority. These educational testing centers, they have to reopen. And we were successful in that appeal. I guess sometimes it works to be the nation's EMS certification body, right? <laughs> because, I mean, you, you're affecting an entire system, you know, and, and if that profession can't progress when it's needed the most, then we're good or you, right? So that that was an amazing step up in order for you for us to continue to hire, uh, train, and educate uh, future EMTs and paramedics. So, and, it, and even despite the, the pandemic, we continue to certify more and more people at every level each year. Well, I want you to know that um, I have been a strong proponent of the National Registry from We're going to say a few years ago, a few (laughs) years, a few years. And I know that um, you you have a vision as an organization that is a lot bigger than the EMT and the paramedic in the station. Right. And we have to understand what that vision is. So your your willingness to come on and really kind of give the world an update. Right. Like this is who we are. This is what we do. And this is what we're trying to do. Um, Hopefully that gets folks re-energized and interested and on a personal level if there's anything that i can do to help uh, i would be more than happy to do that because I, I i love it i love everything about ems i'm definitely an emser and i love ems <laughs> so if i can help at any level i will continue to do so well thank you for your input and your service and your appreciation of ems and i think this this is a changing era with chiefs like yourself who came through the EMS system and are recognizing the importance of, of EMS in yeah. the fire service yeah. as well as yeah. the rest of the, the country. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so it's much. Absolute pleasure. Appreciate you having us. All right. Thank you. See you around. Yeah. All right. So want to thank uh, Alan and Mike for being here. And the, the most important thing about being able to provide good service to the industry is having their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the industry. And that's what the national registry is all about. So for the testing processes, the importance of being properly educated, all those things are necessary. And there's a level of credibility when you're able to have an organization like the NREMT that's uh, possible. So we thank them for the work that they do, for sure. Now, I have a second guest 
that I would like to. And this is a, a bit of a different topic, but I want to introduce something as a conversation starter uh, today here at FDIC. And um, this guest is a dynamic person. I mean, before you even get to what what she does, but uh, Nina Powell is uh, the public education um, and the PIO for Brownsburg Fire Territory here in the state of Indiana. And we're going to have an opportunity to see what what where she come from. What is she up to and what's happening in Brownsburg? So welcome, Miss Powell. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me today. That's my pleasure. Yes, so, yes. So tell me, so tell uh, tell all the folks that are watching and listening uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I started uh, with the fire service. Funny, I started in 2005. Um, I worked for State Farm Insurance and I was in the Army National Guard at the time. And I volunteered with Survive Alive. Whoa. Yeah. Vincent Randolph that's at Zinesville was actually like, hey, you ought to volunteer. We had an event together and I was like, sure. So I would help, you know, volunteer teaching kids fire safety. And I was like, wow, you know, you get paid for this. You know, he was at IFD. And so, um, I mean, from there, it's just been history. Um, you know, my children were sort of raised in the fire service also. Um since then, I went from volunteer to being um, hired on, and um, I am a child passenger safety technician instructor, CPR instructor, um, fire investigator, deputy fire marshal. Um, my real uh, focus is public education still. You know, uh, once you do that, you always do it. Education is empowering and delightful, so I love that. And um, I also serve, like you said, as a PIO, and I love that also. Um, you know, just getting in front of the community, letting them know that we're here for them, and just really getting the word out. So, yeah, as you're doing here, so thank you for this opportunity and to use your platform. Oh no, this is uh, this is fantastic. <laughs> so yeah. you 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 have, uh, I guess we're going to say several hats. Yes, that you absolutely. Wear, right? But I think uh, what I would love to concentrate on is your public education piece. Sure, yeah. Because uh, we know that the fire service has done an amazing job yes. at public education. Yes. Uh, and they're going out uh, almost daily in, yes. in a lot of instances to educate the citizenry about fire safety. Yes. Uh, what do you see that when it comes to EMS? Like, how, how could that expand, do you think? You know, um, I think that's a really good question. And I think that um, right now we're like at the beginning stages of that. Um, you know, like you said, we go out all the time, you know, talking about fire safety, injury prevention. Um, and I think even in the injury prevention piece, it really segues into, you know, why we're here, you know, and, um, you know, just making sure that the community is aware and empowered. So, um, you know, I would like to see, you know, a broader concentration. And I think we're, we've done a good job in Brownsburg. We, um, partner with, um, you know, paramedicine and things like that, just to bring more resources to the community. And so, um, I definitely see that expanding, you know, but I'm glad that we're in conversation about that, you know, for the community too. So, yeah. And yeah. I, re and I remember, you know, I started in the uh, mid nineties yeah. and EMS, EMS was just, they call we haul yeah right yeah. and we're just taking folks to the hospital and yeah oh they sick they just gotta go well okay yeah. that's fine but there was no conversation there was no education there was yes. no this is how we can help 
solve this problem more long term, right? Absolutely. So, so I think that's something that you know we should look at. And one of the terms that comes to mind for me, yeah, is is EMS prevention. Yes, right? yes. And and what EMS prevention probably could do, yeah, is remind people that they are empowered with their own healthcare decisions. Yes. Absolutely. And, and not rely on 911 or the emergency departments to be their primary care providers, right? Yes, yes. So getting that word out to the citizens, I think, could help them feel like they can make those decisions more yeah. appropriately and get in contact with their primary care doctors, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes people just are so worried. I talked to our medics, uh, a couple of our medics a few days ago, and I just was like, you know, wanted to trend, like see what where the pulse is. And so yeah. I was like, you know, hey, what are we seeing? And they're like, you know, around this time of year, people encounter breathing problems, you know, respiratory issues with right. season changes. And they said the problem is they wait too long to call us. And so sometimes it's a matter of, Hey, do you have an inhaler you need? Do you need to get with your respiratory therapist around this time of year? Um, and most importantly, do not delay. You know, don't wait till your last breath to <laughs> dial us. You know, let us know that something's going on. So I should have a quote from our EMS chief, Zach Bowers. I want to read and I really sure. feel like it was like so to the point. But um, what he said was community paramedicine is an additional layer of resources empowering the community um, and their overall wellness. By educating and mitigating in the early stages, our community is getting the help they need before a greater emergency occurs. And so when I hear you say EMS prevention, that's what I hear. You know, before a greater emergency occurs, how can we empower you and educate you, you know? In fire safety and public education, we have, you know, stop, drop, cover, and roll. And everybody knows what that means, you know? But what does that look like on the EMS side? You know, how can we make programs like that deployable to go out to the community events and say, hey, you know, one, two, three, you know me, or yeah, whatever yeah. the case could the be, ABCs, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Something real nice and catchy, but really to the point, you know, life-saving tool. Um, I think that would be, you know, really helpful, um, you know, to develop things like that. So, yeah, yeah. We're talking about evolving yes. something that the fire service has done well for a very long time mm -hmm. uh, to the degree that kids you're yeah. in an in a elementary school and these kids are rolling around on the floor. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they stop dropping and they rolling and they're enjoying it. It's simple and they run home and they tell Mom and dad, hey, this is what I did today. Yeah. We thought that the firefighters were so cool. Yeah. And yeah. what's different yeah. than what EMS can do, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Deploying uh, progressive, yes. interesting, fun, and very to-the-point programs, I think, uh, is important uh, to fit under that umbrella. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have, um, I definitely have to brag on the people I know. You know Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I'm, so, I'm uh, ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Um, Stita <laughs> Donnell with Indianapolis Fire Department and Tracy Graham with Indianapolis Fire Department. Yes. They are both CPR instructors. I am also. Mm -hmm. They hardly ever go to a community event without taking a CPR mannequin and doing hands only demonstrations. They will allow a child to just hands on practice. That's it. Just to get a feel for what a compression is, you know, nothing certified, nothing mm -hmm. like official, right? right? right. Just right. to say, this is how this feels. This is what going through the motions feels like. And I think so many people don't get that experience. And so I'm like, I'm definitely taking that away from them. You know, like, <laughs> let me borrow that. So, yeah. Every time I'm out, like, 
can I get a mannequin? Can I just say, hey, do you want me to show you that? And I think they just do a real good job of that, you know? Yeah, that's extremely effective for yeah. a couple of reasons. One, it says we're providing some education, but yeah, two, and yeah. most importantly, it allows that individual that's watching it yeah. not to be afraid of it. Yes, for like sure. It's such, oh my gosh, they did. Oh, yeah. no, this is what you can do. Absolutely. They, but I was told that you have to kiss them. <laughs> I know. No, 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 no. No. There'll be none of that. Mm. If you are not comfortable with doing any of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. That, and sometimes with your loved one, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nah, like, I don't know where your mouth is. Right. Right. Hold on. <laughs> right? Yeah. But if you're doing compressions, yeah. that's effective. Absolutely. And it brings that anxiety down. Yeah. It makes them feel more empowered. And they yes. are like, okay, I can participate in this. Because yeah. we know when you talk about the links in the chain of survival. Mm -hmm. Yeah that we're on the back end of those links. Yeah. And yeah. the public is very early yes. and integral in yes. those links. And if we can get them to participate, yeah. then the job on the back end yeah. is going to provide better results. So Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the statistics that helps me is just the survivability rate. When I talk about that, like, you know, if someone experiences a cardiac episode, they have a 92% chance. Is it still 92% 90, chance yeah, of 90, survival yeah, yeah. if they well, receive yeah. um, CPR in the early stages? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's not us. That's you at home, you know? Mm -hmm. But then I also think, too, um, if we think about, like, you know, just how we were just all at home for a while during the pandemic, Ooh. I really feel like a lot of people just kind of went unseen in their medical care, mm -hmm. um, not because it wasn't available, but maybe perhaps they were apprehensive. And so I think that now, you know, moving forward, you know, how does that look? Do we have people currently at home deteriorating because of, you know, the fear possibly that they had surrounding, um, you know, health care or their own personal health? You know, right, right. And so that's another tidbit. Like, how do we penetrate these households who, you know, just have gone a while without that, you know? Yeah. Um, there are only so many resources, right? Yeah, yeah. And so all these ideas, you got this big, this whiteboard in your office. Yeah. And you, you know have I do. 30, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you have these ideas that are filling up the whiteboard. For sure. And, and I mean, how do you prioritize those things and get the biggest bang for the buck, so to speak? How do you do that? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. So I know um, for Brownsburg Fire Territory, we are really big on community risk reduction, whatever that looks like. So fire, EMS, um, uh, pedestrian safety, uh, every facet. If we run on it, we want to know about it, learn about it. We want to prevent it, educate and empower. So what we do um, as much and I, and I hear more in the fire service, you know, community risk reduction. But what we've done, we've taken it, um, taken a step back to make sure we do our community risk assessment. So first assessing the risk. Right. So that is data, 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 run yeah. reports, um, trends, how many kids are getting um, hit crossing the street in 2020 versus now? You know, do we have more people outside um, or less? You know, um, we don't have any food deserts necessarily, but mm -hmm. are there more pedestrians struck by vehicles and food deserts versus, you know, so just trying to trend. You know, and it's different for every area, right? Correct. But just trying to trend where the need is and then prioritize from there. We know that the younger population and the older population are at greater risk nearly of everything. And the population in the middle 
is busy taking care of both ends, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's like, mama That's needs true. a latte and a help and a helping hand, right? And so yes, we want to be that helping hand, however we can be, um, you know, just to empower them with education. And there are some cases where, um, you know, we may not get to see everyone in our community. Well, then that's where our social media comes in. It is such a teaching tool. I mean, I cannot express how integral like our social media platforms, even now, you know, being with you today, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. just sparking that conversation because a lot of people are at home. They may feel alone or unseen or unsure. If you're under the sound of my voice, make an appointment, you know, just get right. the checkup, right? right. Just right. start the process so that we don't have to take something that could have been a multivitamin and turn it into something that is worse down the line, right? And I think right. that's what this conversation is about anyway. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Nina, what gets you all this excitement? Like, I'm <laughs> sure when you walk through the door that yeah. the people that you work with go, whew, there she comes, man. They definitely like, know when I'm in the building. <laughs> absolutely. So what does that come from? Because I, I'm sitting next to you. I feel yeah. that energy. Yes, thank and, you. And, and tell me, where does that come from for you? You know what? Um, passion cannot be taught. You know, I was born like this and raised like this. And so in my, I have this saying, if I believe it in my heart, I can get it done. Nine out of 10, I can get it done for free. There's my chief. And so um, I had to give a shout out, Chief Paul Hudson, Brownsburg Fire <laughs> Territory, the best. Um, but if I believe it in my heart, I can definitely get it done. And nine out of 10, I can get it done for free. I write grants and everything. But really, um, as much as I reflect on the comforts of my own life, I think I, will, I also consider there's someone else in their life experiencing discomfort, you know, and so how can I spread that or share that? How can I help ease what they're experiencing or bring light to awareness, um, education? How can I help bridge someone's gap, right? And that's just equity. That's equity. And so just how can I take my life and my cup and pour into others and provide that equity? So, well, yeah, that's what keeps me fired up. Fired my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. And you know I feel it. it. And I feel the heat. I know. I, I told I, you to stop by Starbucks before you got here. You didn't listen. I did not. <laughs> that's what you call a lesson learned. That's there you sure. go. It only take uh, once. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to this, this, I guess, public education model, you pretty much have an open floor plan, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can really take this thing in a lot of different directions, and Brownsburg uh, appears to be giving you that option, right? Absolutely. And, and so uh, connecting EMS with fire and not EMS versus fire. Yeah, uh, absolutely right? not, no. So, so do you, what kind of thoughts, just, just off the top of your head, do you have when it comes to how can we make some of those things connect where – the guys on the fire, I'm a firefighter, and that's yeah. all I do. And yeah. I don't even, even move, right? Yeah. So, so what are you think? What are your thoughts on some of that stuff? You know, um, I've been very fortunate. I have um, served with um, other departments in the past and um, noticed that there was a disconnect. Um, but at Brownsburg, everyone is family, and I think that's because of the awareness that the firefighters realize. The EMTs and paramedics realize that we are all one big family with the same mission, and so. The love was so organic and um, just authentic and automatic. I just stepped into it. And it's like, when I tell you, like, every hand is helping the other, it just is. Like, if there was a gap, they bridged it before I got there, you know? And um, that is really the working system. You know, mm -hmm. so many departments, 
I've noticed, and you have too, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have m- visions and missions and goals, and we just have silos. We got to put windows in those silos. We got to let each other know what's going on. What are we doing? What's working? What are we, you know, what can we do different? What are the neighboring departments doing? What are departments comparable to our size doing? And then scale it from there for us, you know? Um, one thing we definitely do um, on an annual basis is monitor, you know, the needs and the risks. And not just say, well, this is what the firefighters need to do. No, this is what the department needs to do. You know, here's the population that we need to reach. And in my conversations, everybody is on the same page. You know, everybody is aware. And um, really, that's the only way we can all achieve our common goals in the fire service and EMS service is to do that. You know, we are one big family. So that terminology of this is what the fire side is doing. This is yeah. what the EMS side is doing. No. This is what all sides. This is what doing. we are doing. Right. Yeah. There we is no side. We are a circle. Right. That's right. Yep. That's so, right. yeah, this is what we are doing. This is what the fire, Brownsburg Fire Territory is doing. Yep. So there's um, some aspiring public education officers out there. Yes. And they're listening to this, right? They're yes. getting fired up. Like, uh, man, I hope so. Is yes. exciting. Man, yes. she must be doing some great things. But yeah. I want to be like her. I want to be the next one. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to go in and have these kind of conversations, yeah. remove the silos of the sides. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you say to someone who has these big ideas and really want to excel and go to that next level, like where you are today. Oh yeah. I would definitely say dig deep and dream big. Um, Anything you put your mind to is doable. You just have to have the data behind it. Um, Like I said, passion is something that you can't just teach. You already have to have that. And so if you have it, ride it like a wave, just stay with it, whatever it is. Sure. I need data. Sure. I need team. I would be, you know, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the people, you know, like I said, Theta, you know, my best friends, Trace, mm-hmm. the, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we just all are in the fire service. We pour into each other. Right. And so find your people, find your tribe, the people that want to grow. You know, um, I am blessed to have amazing leadership that literally like my chief told me um, the fire marshal, Paul Hudson, told me. Hey, I just want this to be done. I want it to be done right. Um, make it how you want it to look. Perfect. I give him data. I give him links, and I get to build from there. You know, so we can't do this um, solely on a hunch, right? right. We can't say right. I got a feeling this. I'm gonna no. It's not real. You know, data is real, and so we have to be able to track that, learn it, trend it, and then use it to our benefit. You have a unique perspective because you come from areas outside of Brownsburg, Indiana, right? For sure. And because you're, uh, uh, first of all, you're a black female and you come in into an environment that doesn't have a lot of black females in the business period. Yeah. So that, that kid that's at home and they're looking at you and they're saying, wow, like she's really doing it. Yeah. Um, What do you see that value in being that, that diverse person within an environment that, could, could really, I mean, everybody benefits from it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm happy to be in this space. Um, I, every time I encounter a child, even like at Kroger at the grocery store somewhere, mm-hmm. I always go, hurry up and get this job so I can retire one day, you know, just to let them know <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting on you. Right. Um, because, you know, they say you can't be what you can't see. I never in a million years thought I would be with the fire service, but I knew since day one, I would always want to help people. And so 
this gives me such an opportunity to help people that every day looks different. I never have the same day twice. And I need that variety, right? right. And so um, whether it be, you know, uh, Afro-Latina children like me, um, just any children, anybody, right. you know, just to say, hey, because a lot of times minorities just don't know. Like, right. that's a thing. I can do that. Or I have to be a firefighter to do that. I'm not a firefighter. I'm a civilian employee. Even though I walk like a duck, talk like a duck, I'm not a duck, you know, but I'm on the team, right? And right. so there's so much that you can do in your lane, in your space um, with the right passion and the right leadership. I mean, you can really, you know, make this thing look the way you want it to look, you know? So, yeah, I wow. love that. I love that. Well, good. And yeah. so... In short, you're saying you got to have the passion, right? Absolutely. It has to be there because you're going to be in front of people oh, yeah. who, I guess, can't even spell EMS, right? They're Sometimes. Like, what is this about? Yeah. And what you, does that mean? And you have the patience yes. to break those things down. And it doesn't matter that you're able to have the conversation with whomever. Absolutely. Whenever. Yeah. And wherever. Stay humble, you know. Um there are times I walk into a room, I have no idea, like, what they're talking about. I'm like, whoa, I'm not even on this level, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think about that, you know, we can't get so far in our professionalism that we forget to be people, you know? There was a day I didn't even know this, you know? And so anytime people have questions or they don't understand, it's like, let me just break it down for you because somebody broke it down for me, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't just get here, you know, automatically, you know? And so... Um, you know, it's that humility piece, I think, you know, it's really like, and you can tell that, right? Like in mm -hmm. people, like mm -hmm. if they're right. humble or if they're really feeling it, it's like, man, listen, as much as we love this, we got to spread it. We got to spread the word. We got to spread the love and the education, you know, like we need to make this thing full circle. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be doing this another 50 years, you know, right. I'm going to be somewhere uh, on the Florida beach, minding my business, you know? <laughs> Unplugged. So I need whoever those passionate people are. Please follow us at Brownsburg Fire Territory. So uh, that's on our Facebook, our Instagram, Brownsburg Fire Territory. Uh, we have a TikTok. I mean, Twitter. Follow us because, hey, if you got questions, let's connect. I want to make sure that if anybody has any idea and, you know, even for our department, we want our department to look like our community, you know? And so we want people to come out. Hey, I want to do this. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a medic. Whatever it is, mm -hmm. reach out to us, inbox us. Whew. I know, right? That is, it is absolutely amazing. I can tell you and, feel fired up already. I'm very fired up. I know. I am. I'm hungry again now, too. But <laughs> that's a whole other story. Uh, but I, I really appreciate you coming yeah. out and really just giving people a taste because... Yeah. There are so many routes to take within yes. this business. Yes. And just because it's within a fire department yeah. doesn't mean that you can't EMS in it and excel. Yes. So um, hopefully that's inspirational to some. Absolutely. And helpful to others. Absolutely. I hope so, too. So uh, I really thank you for your time oh, and your, yeah. and your uh, passion and the excitement that you share with all that are listening. Yes, Close thank by. you for your time and the yeah. platform and yeah. all the wonderful work you're doing too. No, so. no, no, yeah. It's all good. So, yeah, so I appreciate yeah, yeah. it. Well, uh, this really kind of wraps up uh, our uh, episode today. And I look forward to seeing all of you, uh, whether we're out in the halls, networking, eating, yes. cracking jokes. Um, but 
bottom line and having a great time here at FDIC in 2023. So listen, there'll be more the EMS pod with Chief Randall online. So watch out for it. And for more adventures in Nina World, <laughs> follow us on Brownsburg Fire Territory, guys. Brownsburg Fire Territory on all platforms. Nina's on the clock. Always. <laughs> Always. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot.